0: Well, good morning. Good morning. So for those that are unaware, this is called a cassette tape. (laughs) Cassette tapes were magical because you could take a cassette, put it in a radio, and record whatever songs you really like to listen to off of the radio. It was like Spotify before Spotify. But there was also an art to making these mixtapes, right? You had to time it perfectly before the beginning of a song or before the ending of a song because you didn't want to get the radio DJ's voice in it because then you would have to start over and re-record the next time you would hear the song on the radio. Not going to lie, on weekends is when I would call into the station requesting a song knowing that was my opportune moment to get the song that I wanted. But what really made our lives even easier is that when you could start using CDs and recording them off of CDs, and so uh, the struggle was real in trying to create these tapes though, right? Well, when I began dating my high school sweetheart, this was pre-Jennifer, I wanted to profess my undying love to her as a 16-year-old, um, you know, because we know so much on how to love at that age, right? So I made her a mixtape of all the love songs I loved from 1995. So you would have songs by Boys to Men, All For One, Jodeci, new edition on their second go-round together, Mariah Carey, so many great singers and groups that had great love songs. And often, we would listen to this mixtape when we were hanging out, and uh, you know, she really liked the tape. And I remember telling my dad about making this tape for this woman that I loved. and he's like, son, you don't know about love. And I was like, what do you know, dad? I love her more than you love mom, <laughs> right? Whoever said that to their parents when they were getting counsel, right? Oh, that was foolish of me, very foolish of me. Because my understanding of love, again, as a 16-year-old, was one that was really sentimental. It focused on the the feels, the warm fuzzies, and all those things. Not surprisingly, we did end up breaking up, as you can see, because I'm married to Jennifer. Um, Because after time, that gushy, sentimental stuff does go out. It doesn't become what defines love in a relationship, especially a biblical and sacrificial one. When I met Jennifer, when we began dating, and even now in our marriage, That's when I learned what does a sacrificial love look like. Because in the New Testament, there are four Greek words that define love that are most commonly used. You have eros, which is the passionate romantic side of love, right? The feels side. You have philia, which is about friendship. You have storge, which is about a familial kind of love. But then you have this word agape, which is the highest form of love. It's a noble love. It is a sacrificial love. Agape love is commitment and agape love is seeking out the other person's interests always above your own And that is the kind of love that we see in the life of Jesus Christ That is the kind of love that we are committed to display for all people But an agape love is impossible to display outside of having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ As we celebrate the love week of Advent Uh, Today, we're going to spend some time in 1 John 4 and Matthew 1. We're going to see the theological aspect of how love looks, who is the giver of love, and we're going to tie that in and see how that was given to us through the infancy narrative in Matthew. Let us pray before we begin. Lord, this morning as we celebrate Love Week, in this time that we prepare for the arrival of your Son, Lord, as we have seen just in worship and song and testimonies of family and scriptures, Lord, may love abound in us through you. Father, may we show this love. May we take the words and the knowledge that we learn today and live it out. May we put our theology into action as we love this world just as you have. Father, change our lives forever. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. 1 John 4, 7-10 reads this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. The background of this text of what's going on for us to see even greater depth of what is expected for us is that John was writing to the churches in the region of Ephesus. And one of the things that he wanted to communicate to them out of the many in this letter was that believers are supposed to show love to one another. It's kind of common sense, but they were struggling, so he had to write this. And that this was commanded by God because it was also a witness to the watching world of how believers look. And so immediately we see in verse 7 that love comes from God, no one else, only from God. Now let me be clear, when it says that love comes from God, when someone is displaying love, it doesn't mean that everyone who displays love has a saving faith. Because even unbelievers can demonstrate love in moments. But this does proclaim that those who are believers, those born of God, will love others, that they will be characterized. their love. That is what a person looks like, love. And it's when we see someone displaying this agape love that it's not from them, that it comes from God only because humans don't love. That is not our natural instinct. But this believer that knows God, the use of the word know here shows that it is an ongoing continual process of getting to know God. Uh, It never ends. You have never fully arrived in your understanding of getting to know God. That is our duty always in our lives. And when you get to know God, you start to understand even more so how his nature is love. Because again, if a person loves God, then that person should be loving. Right? As a parent, my children have characteristics from me. Same thing for us as believers. We should be taking on characteristics of God. So therefore, we should love. This really is a very simple concept to understand to live out is a different thing but it is a simple concept to understand so when christians love people the world will see the two following things number one that we are born of god meaning they see us doing the very same thing that god does which is love but they will also see that we know god because they see us living out his commands and his instructions John continues in verse 8, almost restating again in verse 7, right? Whoever does not love God does not know God. Again, saying that God is love, that love is the essence of his character. It's not an attribute of God because that minimizes that God is love. It's so much more than saying God is loving because God literally is love. And so the theological reason of why we love one another is because God is love. I might sound like a broken record, but it's important that we understand this aspect of God. So it means that if a person doesn't display love, it means that they don't not only know God, but they have never known God. Now, I know for us as believers, sometimes we don't display love. And what this text is saying is that if you're not living out love, you might have broken fellowship with God there may be an absence of fellowship with him you don't know him like you claim to if you worship on a Sunday but then you leave your church family and you go into the world and you don't display love you might not be in fellowship with the Lord if you claim to be a follower of God but you don't love others fellowship with God may be absent it's like you keep using that word I do not think it means what you think it means Because if a person doesn't love God, then they don't know God. So to know God is to know love. God is love. Love should flow through the life of a believer. New Testament scholar C.H. Dodd contrasts the two statements, God is love and God loves like this. The latter statement might stand alongside other statements, such as God creates, God rules, God judges. That is to say, it means that love is one of his activities. But to say God is love implies that all his activity is loving activity. If he creates, he creates in love. If he rules, he rules in love. If he judges, he judges in love. All that he does is the expression of his nature, which is to love. There is nothing that God does that does not originate from his loving nature because that is his essence. His essence is love. And so if love is from God the only option for us as followers is to love there are no other options but then verse 9 and 10 this is where we see theology come into play because God is love let me give you a theological reason of showing how God is love Jesus Christ God's love was made visible and clear in Jesus because Jesus was God in flesh as he walked this earth amongst humans John 3:16 shows that God was motivated, motivated by His love for all of creation, for all of humanity, which is why He sent Jesus into a broken world in order to give everlasting life to those who would believe in Him as Lord. So how do we know that God is love? God revealed His love to us through His Son Jesus, in a world then and today that rejects God, that curses God, that ignores God, that thinks God is foolish. He still loves, and he gave Jesus. He gave Jesus to the world for people to understand that Jesus was the only perfect atoning sacrifice for sin. In his birth, his life, and ultimately his death, that is God expressing his love to this world. Love is visible. Tony Evans says that invisible love is no love at all. So we said, how do we know that God is love? When in verse 10 it says, how do we know God loves us? Jesus Christ. He sent Jesus to be the perfect sacrifice for all of our sins. God didn't have to do it. He didn't owe us Jesus, but because he loves. It's his grace that saves us. It's God's agape love for mankind and humanity. This sacrificial, selfless, others-only looking love. That is how real love looks. God initiated this love. He initiated his love. That is an agape love. He says, here is my love. Because we didn't warrant it. We didn't deserve it. He doesn't love us if we respond to his love. He loves us regardless because God is love. And we know that through our salvation. We know clearly that God loves us because God saves us. God's love, again, was revealed in Jesus. God's love was costly for him because it cost him his one and only son. God's love was given for everyone. God's love fixes our sin problem as Jesus' death on the cross was the propitiation, which is a big fancy word for the perfect uh, sacrifice that was necessary to satisfy God. God doesn't love us because he wants us to stop being bad our faith isn't just about stopping and stopping to do bad things what it is is god loves us because he wants to give us abundant life that's our faith it's about giving us life and a result of that faith is a life of gratitude towards god as we worship him and as we love in an agape manner our fellow brothers and sisters and even humans in general It's like the one leper out of ten that went back to Jesus after his healing. Or the redeemed woman who worshipped at the feet of Jesus because she was so thankful for her salvation. A result of faith is looking to love others in that exact same manner as well. And so the theological implications, these are the things that we know about doctrine and theology, about God, is that love is God's literal nature. God is love but also that Jesus is God's love made visible. Because again, we see it on display. So the theology in action, the application that we put into practice as followers of Jesus is very simple. Love people the way that God loves you. Very, very simple. Simple takeaway. So now let's tie this in. How does this tie in the infancy narrative in matthew well this is the beauty of scripture because we see that jesus was love entering the world as we celebrate the second week of advent and so we're going to be in matthew 1 verses 18 through 25 this is how the birth of jesus the messiah came about his mother mary was pledged to be married to joseph but before they came together she was found to be pregnant through the holy spirit Jewish believers. It was written to Jews. And so because of that, in verses 1 through 17 of this gospel, he gives the lineage, Matthew gives the lineage of Jesus from a Davidic line, because he wants to confirm to his audience that Jesus is the promised Messiah. But after verses 1 through 17, he's like, let me give you a couple more points. It's almost like an apologetic of why you can trust that Jesus is the Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament. sensitive microphone. So I'm going to go back to having the text, but now we're going to do a little picture-in-picture, picture, and we're going to have First John, and we're going to go back and forth. You're going to bounce back, and we're going to see this beautiful recipe of how God is love is shown to us in the infancy narrative. Joseph was pledged to be married to Mary. This was an engagement that was had. Now, engagements in Jewish culture is very different from how engagements look in our Western culture today. There were multiple steps in just the engagement, the betrothing process. The first step was that families usually would initiate the arrangements. Parent and parent would say, our kids should get married, and they would do that. Then the second step is there would actually be official documents saying this is a, they're going to be engaged to be married. It's almost like a prenuptial agreement which was written in front of witnesses. But this was also a legal and binding document. And so with that engagement being done, the husband and wife are already considered married. Except that the wife-to-be would still stay at home until the official ceremony would begin. So it's like, you're married, but not married, but you're married. They were basically married. They just didn't get the perks of marriage. It's okay. It's biblical. But then you would have the wedding, right? The official ceremony that would say, these two are pledging their lives to be together. These two families are letting the two children of theirs cleave to one another and officially be married. And then when that ceremony was done, that is when they would go and consummate their marriage. So understanding what's going on here, Joseph and his wife to be married, she comes home pregnant. right? And Luke, she's visiting Elizabeth for three months. So she's been gone for three months, and she comes home, and she says, I'm pregnant. The reality is, because Joseph had not been with her, is that she was probably unfaithful. Now we have a little grace with Joseph because this is all happening in first this is all happening in real time. We get to read about it 2000 years later. So the things that are going on in his mind is is like hmm okay. I've never heard of someone being impregnated by the spirit. But the Holy Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit at work from the very beginning in the creation narrative. The Spirit of God is what created Adam. And that is the way that Jesus was conceived and Mary was through the Spirit of God. And so Joseph, the husband of Mary, in, in verse 19, who becomes the earthly father of Jesus, first and foremost, Joseph is an awesome guy. Man. You see, a man that loves his wife and that loves God in the way he lives He was a righteous man. He followed the law as it said right here. He was a follower of God. He worshiped Yahweh He had a saving faith in God So now with what's going on in this situation Joseph's saying I'm gonna I'm gonna divorce her quietly Right. Well, let me tell you kind of what's going on Joseph only had a couple of options according to the law as given by God In deuteronomy 22 it says that joseph could expose mary as unfaithful to the community around them according to that text she could be stoned now they didn't really do that anymore in the first century but the reality of that announcement to the community would show that she would bear the sin and the shame uh public shame of enduring a public divorce because of unfaithfulness his other option is to have a private divorce in numbers five all he has to do is give a written letter with two witnesses and it'll be a hush hush quiet divorce and they can go on the merry way a little wordplay there or if he really wanted to be crazy he could re- remain engaged and not divorce her you know in deuteronomy 24:1 it says that if there was unfaithfulness in the marriage the law required divorce so therefore if he was to stay with her he would be condoning sin so joseph is really in a pickle of a situation His only real option, according to the law, is to divorce Mary, which is the beauty of the coming of Jesus. That is the beauty of how he came to fulfill the law. And so we see Joseph being honorable and wanting to honor God according to the law, but also wanting to honor Mary and keep things quiet. So him divorcing her quietly, showing that he has high standards of living, but he has high compassion for people as well. So how do we tie First John into this passage right here? Well, without a relationship with God, Joseph would not be able to love Mary well. Without a saving relationship with God, Joseph would not look at Mary in an ideal manner. He would not see the best of who Mary is without God. Without a relationship with God, he wouldn't have compassion for his wife to be. But this story continues. As we consider what God is love means in verses 20 and 21, Joseph considered, right, in this very words, it means that he is processing information carefully, thoughtfully. He didn't make a decision in a hasty manner to divorce her quietly. He didn't just think about it for a couple minutes and said, this is what I'm going to do. No, what this means, this, the, the strength of this Greek word is that he thought about it so deeply that it probably caused him sleepless nights. It gave him unrest because... What's going on here, Lord? Help me understand. It wasn't sitting well with him to divorce Mary in this situation, even though he was allowed to according to the law. It wasn't sitting well because he knew Mary. Why would it seem that she would be unfaithful to him? He was really wrestling with this. Well, God, being so loving and merciful, comes to Joseph in a dream. Dreams were one way that God would give revelation to people in the Old Testament. And often he would use an angel. So that's what we see right here. God sends this messenger that gives an instruction that says, son of David, she will give birth to a son. And so you're going to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from sin. This is the only time that Joseph, that Jesus is not addressed as son of David. What I mean is Joseph is called son of David the rest of this narrative will be Jesus being addressed as son of David. Again, confirming the Davidic line of Jesus Christ and saying son of David. But as a follower of God, Joseph in this dream, he's able to discern well. He's able to think clearly because again, the love of God is within him as a follower of God. He considered deeply and not in a hasty fashion what to do. Because you cannot think Or discern biblically when it comes to morality outside of following god in faith you literally cannot only god gives an agape love and allows you to display and live out an agape love so this angel telling joseph to name the baby jesus is significant because jesus was a common name it was like the name michael joe or john because God could have given G- Jesus a really special, unique, fancy name, but he chose to give him a common name, which shows that Jesus was going to be the average Joe that walked amongst us. He was supposed to be a regular person that you could have a relationship with. Just like in Hebrews 4:15, he was someone that would know and understand everything that humans endure because he himself was God in the flesh. That's God is love that he would send the redemption for humanity to walk the world amongst the people then jesus in greek equals joshua in hebrew which equals yahweh saves the lord saves and that would show the purpose of what jesus was here to do of him coming into this world the name jesus tells us what god does that god saves through jesus jesus is coming to save man from their sin Jesus is coming to redeem man from their sin. Jesus is coming to free man from sin. Just again, Psalm 138. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Notice that the plan here said that Jesus was coming to save them from their sins. Not to liberate them from the power of Rome. Not to come as a militaristic leader or a powerful warrior. But someone that's going to come in love to save humanity. Just like in the Christmas carol, hark the herald angels sing. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Joseph naming Jesus, Jesus also gives him legal paternity as his earthly father. Again, confirming the Davidic line. God is love. Joseph loves God, therefore Joseph loves Mary, therefore Joseph adopts Jesus to be his earthly son. All because God is love. And so the implications we see here in this uh, passage, in verses 20 and 21, is that we see God's love promised to man coming to fulfillment in the birth of Jesus Christ. We see the purpose of God's love, which is to save man from their sins. Now, verses 22 and 23 kind of might feel a little funny. Why are we throwing this uh, random, well, it's not random, but why are we throwing this prophecy into the text? Well, this is a timeout moment where Matthew was speaking to the crowd. It's like he's panning away from the scene, and he says, "Timeout," just like in Saved by the Bell when Zach Morris would do that so he could say something special to the audience. That's what Matthew was telling the people. So he gives this prophecy from Isaiah 7, 14 to confirm that Jesus is the promised Messiah from God. This lineage of David is now confirmed through three things. The virgin birth, the fulfillment of this prophecy given, and also being from the line of David. Emmanuel. God with us. You see, the implications for 1 John about God as love that we see in this text is that God's love is made visible to man in Jesus. We see God's love in Emmanuel as God in the flesh is the with us God. Back then... Here today and forever. We see God's love in the promise that Jesus gave at the end of Matthew prior to his ascension, saying, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Because God's love does not abandon, God's love never abandons and it never ceases. Because God is love. Love cannot stop loving, and that's God. But then Matthew wraps this all up in verses 24 and 25. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded and took Mary home as his wife. Joseph is a great model of obedience. Without question, without hesitation, he does immediately what God commands of him. Without arguing, God says, take Mary home to be your wife. And he says, yes, Lord. Because God is love. And he worships God. He is able to obey God. Think about it. The community around them they can do simple math so they see the birth of jesus and the timing of their wedding ceremony doesn't necessarily line up knowing that he would endure probably some criticism or there would be gossip and whispers of slander he still chose to obey and take mary home as his wife And that's all because of a saving relationship with God as his father, that he was able to love in that manner, that he was able to endure in that manner, that he was able to persevere in that manner. He would protect Mary as her husband. He completely adjusted his life because he loved God and he loved Mary. Again, this wedding officially happening now, in the eyes of Jewish believers, confirms that Jesus is from the Davidic line. This is the beauty of the gospel. We see Matthew giving an apologetic for Jesus being from the line of David all through these verses. Now, verse 25, Matthew writes that Joseph and Mary abstained from sexual relations until after his birth. And why? Because it's about the virgin birth, which was given in prophecy, again, the apologetic for Christ being Messiah But also the beauty of this is that Joseph still honored Mary and God in this. Because he could have said, well, you're already pregnant, so... But he didn't. They abstained in obedience to honor one another and to honor the Lord. And so the implications that we see from 1 John here in this is that Joseph was quick to obey because of God's love. We saw that Joseph honored Mary because of God's love. We saw that Joseph loved Mary because the love of God is in him. Because God is love. And so, right, this was a story that we grew up with. Well, how do I live this out in my life? Well, that's the beauty of theology. You can take these points and live them out. And so the theology and action that we see right here is the relational aspect with man, believer, unbeliever, it's universal, is to have compassion. Literally love people the way God loves you. Really simple concept, really hard to do. Impossible to do, especially if you're out of fellowship with God, if you're not walking well with the Lord. It's hard to love people. I can testify to that. But also, to love sacrificially love is not just a feeling love is work and it's difficult and it is awesome you love sacrificially you give it all up and expect nothing in return that is agape love that is god god is agape love and as we close it out here so what do we do about our relationship with god understanding that god is love well first and foremost We trust God, just like Joseph did, just like Mary did. Again, a lot easier to say than do, but it is commanded. And so the way you trust God is to make sure that you are in fellowship with him on a day in and day out basis. You obey God. Very simple concept. Really hard to do. But when you are walking with the Lord, when you are fellowshipping with him, when you are fellowshipping with the church, It makes it more possible to do. Obeying God is a part of a relationship with God. But the theology in action that I can't help but think of since Mike McGinty preached a few weeks ago is that we have gratitude for our salvation, that we are so thankful for our salvation, that God came into a broken world, a world that rejected him, that said, we don't care about you, we don't need you. And he said, I love you anyways. And gave us Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the beauty of the gospel. As I shared in the Devo, the gospel in one word is love. And part of that for us is communion. As followers of Jesus Christ, I want to invite the deacons forward. We use communion to remember the love of God as it was displayed on the cross As we see Jesus giving up his life in order for man to be reconciled to God. And we also remember that love in community, that we remember Jesus in community. And so as the elements are being passed out right now, I want you to take some time to talk to God. Thank him for his love. Praise him for his love. Maybe there's an absence of fellowship in your relationship with God right now. Maybe there's some confessing that needs to happen to make sure your relationship with Him is good. Remember, once saved, always saved, but we come with contrite hearts admitting wrong because we want a good relationship with Him. We want to right the wrongs to have good fellowship with God. And so again, as you receive the elements, I ask you to pray and ask you to wait and hold and we will take them together as a church family.